Hello, and welcome to Fine Beats and Cheeses, the podcast that asks, how much is that painting in your basement? Yes. <laughs> you know, it's stupid. Anyway, my name is Leslie Grace Streeter. I am a columnist for the Baltimore Banner, an author, a speaker, a person who loves when things work out for people on the internet and feels really bad when they don't. And my co-host is... I am Lynn Streeter Childress, and I am her sister, and I am a theater professional who does theater for young audiences in uh, Annapolis, Maryland. And I write, and I direct, and I sing, and um, I wish that people would buy the stuff at my house. Right. They won't. <laughs> you never know. Anyway, so introduce our guest today, Lynn. Well, today... It's very, very, very exciting. We have the host of the really funny show, All Things Black. Um, he's hilarious. I often um, write crazy things on his Facebook page about when I disagree with his takes on This Is Us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but he's amazing. And his name is Calvin Coates. Calvin is the dad of three adult kids and granddad to one eight-month-old that he calls the landlord. <laughs> Please welcome Calvin Coates. Good evening, Woo! good evening. It is such an honor to be here. Um, I mean, your introductions are great for me, but your introductions are great for yourself. And it is so great to see both of you together, which I don't think I've seen since high school, City Forever, if no one knows, City Forever. City Forever. And we'll do a little background. Uh, three of us are fortunate to have been graduates of the Baltimore City College, which is the best high school in the world, the third oldest public high school in the country, um, the, I guess, oldest high school rivalry, uh, football rivalry with a school that I'm not going to mention because we don't have time and I don't want to. <laughs> and um, we're just, you know, there are really a lot of dynamic and, and proudly eccentric and go-getting and creative people that went to our high school and we are three of them so i'm excited yes yes <laughs> but thank you again for having me here I, i'm really enjoying it already and it hasn't even been 10 minutes yet not no. even 10 minutes uh calvin's show which he does with his co-host um they cover a lot of things but lynn and i both had been obsessed with their this is us coverage <laughs> Um, and I had been on their podcast, on their show a couple times because I disagreed <laughs> with their characterization of a character named Toby, who I thought was hot trash garbage and who they liked. And I think that we didn't necessarily change each other's minds. We eventually came around. You you adamantly We did agreed, come around. But we eventually came around to agreeing with you. By the end of the show, we were like, yeah, he's a piece of trash. He's he's terrible. Piece of trash. <laughs> piece of trash garbage. And um, one of the, the cool things about... <laughs> and she's snorting. One of the cool things about discussing pop culture, and we're going to be talking about something really awesome in a minute, is that... There's no, even though you are tried and true and absolutely cemented in your idea of something, also, I think we recognize love. And if, like, you love a thing and I love a thing and I don't necessarily love the thing that you love about it, we can kind of talk about it. And there's that shared love that makes the conversation better. Um, I don't think that any of us really, we haven't talked about it yet, but the thing that we're going to talk about, that you're going to talk about, Calvin, 
um, I think it's something that the three of us really like and see the, the value in. We might, you know, get into maybe some of the specifics, but can you tell us what the thing you're talking about is today? Oh, yes. So, and, you know, we, we initially, when you asked me, you were asking me about anything that I may be embarrassed about or I may get a little flack about. Um, and maybe this falls under like to toxic mas masculinity where, you know, I'm kind of <laughs> like apprehensive about it. But for at least, I'm 51 now, for at least the last 20 years, I have been a fan of the Antiques Roadshow. Now, <laughs> background, it. I am a Baltimore City guy, like, you know, grew up in the hood and have hood friends. So whenever I said to them, oh, you, did you see the Antiques Roadshow? They're like, what? what is that? And then when they finally <laughs> see it, they all look at me and be like, so you mean that show on PBS where these white people have these little pieces of junk that go for like $10,000? Like, absolutely. It's so exciting. <laughs> absolutely. And love I will say that. And Lynn's going to ask you a question, but there that whole thing, put a pin in that about the, like, the white people and ancestral homes and how much I think the success of that show is built on a privilege of time and place and permanence that black people don't necessarily have. But that's a whole other thing. Um, Lynn, ask your question. Yes. So my first question is, so you said it's been about 25 years. Do you remember when the first time is? that you heard about Antiques Roadshow or watched Antiques Roadshow? So yeah, um, <clears throat> well, not exactly. So I can't pinpoint it, but I will tell you because it was a prominent show on PBS for a very long time. And you know how you're just scrolling through channels. Um, and back then there were not the 5,000 channels that you get now on cable. Right. There, were, no. there were a few, I mean, there weren't just three or four, you know, 20 some years ago, we still had cable. Um, but yeah. you would scroll through and when you get to the local channels, you just see the Antiques Roadshow. And I was always like, wait a minute, what is this? What is this? So I think one day there was nothing else on. I said, well, let me cut this on and see what it is. <laughs> and when I did, it was just people with like uh, plates and dishes and those basins <laughs> and uh, bowls and paintings and all that. I was just like, this is kind of weird. But then I just briefly heard someone say, yeah, I bought this from a garage sale. Uh, I think I paid like $5 for it. The guy wanted 10 I gave him 5 He was like, oh, this is a great piece. And, you know, if you took this to auction, do you know how much you'd get? You're like, maybe 10 or 20 It's like, you'd get about 5000 for it. And my eyes just got big. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> uh, it's, it's really, truly hilarious. But in the best way. In the best so, way. So the setup for the show, right? is that the Antique Roadshows people will set up in a city at a convention mm -hmm. center and they will have people come in with their stuff that they consider to be an antique. It's often something that either they bought like in a junk store or at a yard mm -hmm. sale, or maybe it's something that got passed down from their great aunt Ruby or something. And they're wondering if maybe it's worth something. And then they go to the appraisers at the Antiques Roadshow. And it seems like the people have had some time with it because yes. they'll say, oh, well, we looked at it and 
we were flummoxed about maybe where it came from. And so they've had it and they've gotten some research. Um, right. That, so that's the, that's the basic yes, setup, yes, right? Yes. And it reminds me a little of on House Hunters where people who like to extinguish your joy used to always say, well, House Hunters isn't real because the people that they pick have already um, picked their house and they're basically taken to the other two places, but they've already picked the house. But I don't care about it because what I want is the meat of it. What I'm interested in in House Hunters is how much does $200,000 get you in East St. Louis, whatever, or like, you know, East Bofo, Manhattan, whatever, whatever it is. So that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in like living through someone else's, you know, experience in an antique roadshow. It's the same thing. I don't care that they've already, that the person who's appraising has actually already done the appraisal because that person hasn't heard this information. And that person is explaining for the camera what it is, there's one I saw today that was from a couple days ago that had been filmed in an historic home in Maine. And they explain a little of the home. It's like very tacky, you know, but it's old. It was decorated whenever it was decorated. But this person had this giant bat, like baseball bat, that was um, <laughs> called the Paul Bunyan bat. And it was like... 30 pounds and if you looked at the inscription it was given to was it ted williams i think it was ted, so williams. ted williams is a, um, is a hall of fame baseball player or what he's, yes. he's passed now but was a hall of fame baseball player and Whoa. interestingly ted williams was the guy whose kids wanted to cryogenically freeze him and take yes, his head off yes i think his head i think his head <laughs> is still um well for lack of a better term i think his head is still alive and preserved somewhere um, yes. Oh, gee. <laughs> it's and that that's some weird pop culture ish. But anyway, so this bat was like had been. I guess his parents, the guy's parents, had had a sports memorabilia shop, and no one seemed to know exactly the provenance between Ted Williams and this bat. But it had been presented to Ted Williams in some sort of you know thing in the 1950s, and the guy's parents had it, and it was worth between eight hundred and twelve hundred dollars. Jeez, just for a piece of wood. For a, a thirty pound piece of it's, wood, it, and, and 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 so because it's Ted Williams, um, it makes it that much worth that much more. Ted Williams, like I said, is Hall of Famer. He's the only baseball player to ever end his career hitting four hundred. And if just knowing whoa. anything about baseball, a, a three hundred hitter is an all star hitter. So to end your career hitting four hundred is amazing, and no one has ever done it. Um, but yeah, it's like the most obscure, obtainable things go for such a high value. Um, now, granted, most of the stuff that we all have is probably junk, but hell, I mean, even if even if you put something up, take something there, and they say, yeah, you may have paid 50 cents for it, it's worth $20. Like, that's a win. <laughs> I mean, you're not gonna, you're not gonna take it to an auction and get $20 for no. it, but it's still a win in your mind, like it's a win. So, you know, it keeps you going. So, such an exciting show. Um, I saw one and there was like this iron figurine that looked like something a third grader would have made in art class. 
and it was worth like three hundred fifty thousand dollars. I was just what? It, it's because of the artist that did it, because of the time period that did uh... it. Um, and that's another thing about it. Like it's such an educational show. Now I didn't retain any of the artist or any of the time, but I remember, and if, I'm sure you all remember, man and his culture when you studied things like the <laughs> Baroque period and. Um, uh, when they got into Martin Luther and uh, all all that stuff. Like, I don't remember all that stuff. But you start hearing things that you remember from school and you're like, oh, yes. so those time periods were most important. You know, it's just, it's so wild. Yes. And so does it seem that the things that have the most value really, right, are because of the time period or because somebody famous made it? It's it's all of that, and I think it's it's the time period. It's the scarcity mm -hmm. of it. It's were a lot of these things produced? Do a lot of them right. exist? Was it in the provenance or the? Um, can you prove that it belonged to a famous mm -hmm. person or somebody significant, or it was used in a specific historical moment? Um, all of those things to me seem to be there was a woman today in the episode i saw today from a couple weeks ago or whatever that she had this pen and ink drawing that had been in her family for years someone had given to her grandmother or something and it was a matisse <laughs> whoa <laughs> and it was worth like it was just a simple thing was worth like fifteen hundred dollars or something and i have to ask you this calvin have you had obviously what people are weighing in their mind is is this now just something that I'm glad that I own or am I going to try to sell it immediately? So it's funny you said that because um, one of the things when you initially asked me about this and I was thinking about some of the episodes I watched. So they give a little history of what has happened um, since, they, since they've gotten the quote or estimate of what it could be. Some of these people oh. actually donated to museums so this piece could be like an art piece for example it could be worth five hundred thousand dollars and they just donate it to a museum because they feel like well everyone should get to see this i'm sorry i'm mm -mm. i'm, I'm <laughs> auctioning the hell out of that like, like i am not giving it away there are also some people that do auction it off and the person that buys it donates it to a museum or um, something historical for other people to see. And, you know, I appreciate people like that. I'm not one of them and I couldn't be one of them, but no. I appreciate people like that. Well, well, you know, in some of those um, circles, that's a thing. So on a side note, I don't do you know if you remember, Calvin, the show Leverage, um, it was on USA. Uh, I don't know. Fifteen Are, years were they, ago, were they um, were they thieves or something? That would still okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah, were yeah. thieves who do things for. They're like okay. Robin Hood. They do things for the common good. People come to them and say, "I got screwed over from somebody," and they take down a horrible person. And so often on that show, and there's a reboot that came on Freebie on Amazon Prime last year. It's amazing. But anyway, there are people on there who are rich jerks who donate stuff to um, museums because to them, that's like the height of hoity-toity that you can give stuff to museum and you can say, look at me <laughs> giving something that lives beyond myself. 
So that's the only way I could see why people like, would it do it. It just must be nice. I, I just couldn't see myself doing it. Um, I wanted to go back. Yeah. You you were asking about um, what makes some of these pieces valuable, and we were talking about the time periods. It's funny, um, yeah. and as your sister said, it, it's a lot of different aspects. There was a guy that bought a Rolex watch while he was in the military. He was stationed over in, I believe it was Korea. Um, it could have been China, but it was probably Korea because it was in the 70s. Um, and he bought mm -hmm. a Rolex there and he paid 347 American dollars for the Rolex. Mm -hmm. And at the time that was like his monthly salary being in the military. So he um, kept the watch in the safe. He said he only took it out a few times just to look at it, never wore it, just to look at it. You know, that I guess that was his huge purchase back then. Well, he takes it to the Antiques Roadshow and the guy looks at it and says, now, granted, this he this was 30 years later, 30, 40 years later, mm -hmm. he takes it to the show. The guy says, um, this is an original Paul Newman Rolex. And it's what? so Whoa. rare that this watch is now worth three hundred fifty to $400,000. I and and also because of the condition, because he kept it in pristine condition, he never wore it, and it was still in the box. He would just take it out and look at it. Three hundred fifty to four hundred thousand dollars on a watch that he paid three hundred forty-seven dollars for in the seventies. So we we don't even have to go back centuries. We're only going back. Right. This is within our lifetime. It's it's just like oh my god. The show is so interesting and so amazing. <laughs> And we, Calvin, you and I, we had a previous Facebook Messenger discussion about that and about what we liked about it. And it's the history of it. And it's just the, the luck of assuming that somewhere in your house is a national treasure worthy piece of something. And I'm, I don't even care about if it's like a pyramid and a thing that leads me to a treasure. I'm like, can I pay for a new bathroom in my, in my house if I sell this exactly. thing? <laughs> Well, because then what happened after the show became popular, right, was people looking through all yes. their junk, yep. running to Antiques Roadshow, hoping that somebody would say that they had something brilliant, which was more than just your grandmother's junk. And it was this big thing. And I remember I didn't even watch the show back then. And I was like, well, maybe I've got some stuff. I don't know. <laughs> I know they came to the uh, convention center some years ago, and oh. I I just missed it by maybe a few months. And I, I haven't mm -hmm. looked back to see if they were ever coming back, but I would love to go to one of them. Um, now, the bad side of it is being 51, it's like, how much stuff have I just walked over in, like, my grandmother's house yes. or my older aunt's house you know like how much stuff have i just thrown out that could have been worth i used to collect baseball cards um and i knew baseball mm -hmm. cards were worth some money growing up but like you just never know um can you imagine just having like an oj simpson football card not knowing mm -hmm. he was a good player then it was probably worth a lot of money he went in the hall of fame but then look what happens to oj simpson you have an original oj right. simpson rookie card that could be worth a few thousand dollars right now. You may have paid like back then 25 cents for the pack of football cards. Mm. Like, it's just so amazing. Well, and to Do me, you... 
I was Go ahead, Leslie. Okay, I was just gonna say to me that's part of what's so fascinating about it is that, like for instance, I have I'm looking at these Ottomans that my parents bought probably in 1970. There's these like. 30 years later, you could find them at, like, Pier 1 or something. These, like, round uh, rattan ottomans. And I remember right before my dad died, I read some story in a magazine that they had in their house in Little Rock that said that the original of these ottomans, these round ottomans, rattan ottomans, were worth, like, thousands of Mm -hmm. dollars. And I go... Hey, he goes, Pier 1. I go, Pier 1 didn't exist. He goes, yes, it did. <laughs> he goes, whatever it was, that's where it's from. Now, and I, I'm looking at it now in my house in Baltimore. It's been in like five different states, you know, and I don't know. I doubt it's worth anything because I flipped it over and did a lot of research about like what would it have uh-huh. on it. And that's the whole thing too, Calvin, like you were saying, like there's an inscription yes. or there's a a thing that says this is the serial number or there were 500 made and this is number 357 of the 500. I mean, I went through that and there's been times when I was broke where I was like, I wonder what that gas lamps were, <laughs> you know? It's true. It, it, it's absolutely true. Now, and if you think about, um, let's think about something like a Cabbage Patch Kid. Like what would oh, a yeah. Cabbage Patch Kid in pristine condition go for today so back then that your parents may have paid what 29.99 for it and that was a little expensive back then that was like the 80s but it they could be worth like four or five thousand dollars now there's a great show which oh called you're wrong about did that that just start i i saw that title not too long ago for a few years right maybe maybe i just saw it (laughs) It's a great show. And they did, basically, it's pop culture stuff or news stories that people think happened one way. And they're saying, actually, you're wrong about because the story was different. Like, they talk about, like, the lady who sued McDonald's for the hot coffee. And everyone made fun of her when it turns out that she was burned over 90% of her body. And the coffee was too hot. But McDonald's are the ones who switched it around to make it look like she was an idiot. So all that's ta- all that to say, they did an uh, episode about Beanie Babies, okay. yeah, and about yes. where they came from, but also to this idea of um, people buying them and thinking they were such a big deal, but they really oversaturated the market with them, and also they don't bring people joy. Some people never played with their Beanie yep. Babies because they thought they were going to be worth something one day. Um, and that sort of leads me to the question of, do you feel like people forget sort of what value is on these shows? I know I'm watching it and I saw someone get like, you know, $30,000 appraisal on something. And the next person with something completely unrelated was like, your thing is worth $300 and they're excited, but I'm thinking, but it's not $30,000 <laughs> like the other lady. Well, yeah. yes. So <laughs> yes, but but I also think what happens is, so for this show to have been on so long, um, just so the long. little snippets that we see in their hour or two hour episodes, that has to be snippets that they've pulled from hundreds of people. So. I would imagine the successes, the successful stories that we see um, are what, one, two percent. You have people that (laughs) and and it's not necessarily um, losing value or it's not necessarily uh, 
not not knowing what the value of something is or not appreciating value. It's actually just losing value on something where people are just literally mm. taking junk now. Like, you know right. that, of course. Okay, so yeah, VCRs are no longer in, but you know you're not going to take a VCR there and no. get it appraised for $16,000. Like, but I'm sure there are people that do things like that, you know, because right. you're you're just number one you're chasing the dollar because you're money hungry and everyone wants to get that instant rich that instant f overflow of cash you know that shot of cash that is gonna like you said yeah. leslie uh gonna get your bathroom fixed or in in my case yes. pay for your home you know to be just just right? any of that so yeah i I, I think that and of course um if you do take something there and you want it to be worth three thousand dollars but they say it's worth three hundred dollars you are going to yeah. be like that's all like you, you literally paid two dollars for it like <laughs> exactly and you still would have made 288 298 dollars exactly. i will will say that because this is and people have to remember this just like any other show like american idol or the voice or whatever this is a television show so people don't just walk in off the street and say look at my perry como record collection it's well, whatever, because like you, you noted, Lynn, by the time they get there on the camera, the um, the appraiser has already looked at the thing them or someone else has looked at it, looked at the value, looked at the provenance and the number serial numbers or whatever. So you're not just walking on the street. You were vetted. And I say this as a person who auditioned for the voice and didn't get on still feel some kind of way about it. <laughs> it's not the point. Um, the, the point I'm making is that. I imagine that, like you said, Calvin, that there's 95% of junk that people haul into the open call. Um, and I didn't check this, but I'm imagining that also a lot of these people are maybe, because I, I know that like with the voice or things like that, they've also, not just people coming off the street, but they've talked to local producers or record companies or managers or people and say, can you send somebody to these auditions? So I imagine that for this show, there are people, appraisers in the national sense, who have said to local appraisers, have you had anybody who came with a really interesting lamp or, or something that looks like it was a Victorian period or whatever? And so when they're coming on stage on the camera, it's not the first time that anyone at this place has met them. They're not like loading their U-Haul and going, <laughs> you know. Right. It, uh, there also, though, seems to be two levels of appraisals, mm. right? It seems to be, you'll see the people in like the montage in the middle. Yeah. Where they're just kind of sitting there and they're showing them mm -hmm. their thing, but they don't have the big backdrop set up or whatever, where it's like a one-on-one. -on -one. So maybe that's too part of it. Like that's part of the, I don't know, vetting is when they came and show them the thing. We're looking at this and we see that, but the bigger things are the things that they're actually doing the research on. Yeah, maybe? and you, you also have to think that um, the appraisers that are the ones that are actually showing their faces on TV because a lot of them mm -hmm. are repeat, repeat yeah. appraisers. You know, they're doing a few. So they have to be the top of their profession. They have to be the ones that know history um, no value right. because you can't just get anyone doing that because you would hate for someone <laughs> to appraise something at 
five hundred thousand dollars and then they take it to auction and the auctioneer is like this is probably worth five dollars like it's a replica it's not you know what i mean so you would you would hate to have that happen so yeah i'm sure they are vetting on top of vetting and you know doing their research and you know because again like you said it's a tv show and they're getting ratings and it's been on for a very long time and it actually um you know the they they have different um areas of it so the one that i watch is the u.s one because there is um one overseas um i guess it's the uk one um and i'm just for whatever reason, uh, just like when it comes to period pieces, I don't know. I just can't watch anything that's British. I have no idea what's wrong with me. I just can't. I just, I don't know what's wrong with me. And I don't hate the shows. I just listen. Their accents just annoy me after a certain time. I'm just like, I can't do this. Cheeky monkeys. Well, also, to, to me, a lot of it is that I can't always visualize the things they're talking mm-hmm. about. So I know, like, we've got you know, 250, 300, 300 years worth of whatever. So if they say something is from 1787, I can put that into context in America of what that means. But if they're talking about some like, you know, Duke I've never heard of in some place in, <laughs> exactly. it, in Italy, I'm like, I don't know who that is. That means nothing to me. Um, move on. Um, I... <laughs> Move on. I'll ask you this, Calvin. I had said something about this before that to me, part of the show is based on the idea that perhaps your family had had a business or that you had had a home, that your family owned a home for 70 years, 100 years, and that there's a certain unspoken privilege that comes, it's mostly white people I see in these things. Yeah. Um, and so to me, there's a, a given that if you have your Aunt Minnie's, you know, gas lamp from 1857, that Aunt Minnie had enough possession and security to keep that stuff in the family. Have you ever seen black people on that show? So, um occasionally and and it's it's interesting you said that because one of the things as i've i mean i was an adult when i started watching it but as i started getting more into my um parenthood and i guess stride as as an adult and knowing my direction um you watch things like that and you the numbers interest me but the items don't interest me when the items start interest hmm. when i start getting interested in the items it's items that as you said that i feel like i can imagine like you said a baseball bat i play baseball i can imagine that right um i'm not an artist i don't know much about um these past periods of art. So they don't interest me, just the numbers. Um, but then you start getting into things like I've seen on other shows, and not, and I don't recall if it's on this show, but I've seen on other shows things like slave shackles that have sold at auctions. Yes. Um, colored only, mm. white only signs that have sold at auction. So these are things that interest me. And when you think about it, it's like, you know, as black people, people of color just in general, um, a lot of this history you're not going to have and you, because no one's handed it down to you. Because when yeah. you speak about yeah. generational wealth, that's kind of generational exactly. wealth also. Um, yeah. You know, w- when you have cabinet makers that have cabinets that are 
100, 200 years old that can sell at auction for $250,000. Well, you know, we weren't cabinet makers back then. No. So they'll never, no. they'll never be signed with our name on it. But maybe we no, were the exactly. actual ones that made it, you know. Um, right. When you think about people like Henry Ford, you know, the, there's, right. there's, there's word out that, yeah, he's the guy, but he wasn't the guy that made those automobiles. That wasn't him. Right um, so, you know, that's the the other side of it. And I, I try when I watch it, I try to just watch it for entertainment. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see many black people. And when you do see black people, you're really interested in what they have. Um, but there's no one that I can really think of um, other than things, like I said, other than things that may have been like an original hot comb or the colored only signs, wow. things like that. You know what I mean? But anything that's passed, um, I, I want to say freedom or the Civil Rights Act, well, you don't see us mm -hmm. owning a lot of that stuff. No. Well, I'm, and I'm wondering too, because I'm thinking about like, our grandmother is 96 years old and has a lot of nice things in her house that she's had for a very long time and that she got from her mother or her mm -hmm. great aunts. Um, I'm really wondering if we ever went through her stuff, if she probably had some things that were, mm. you know, cost some mm -hmm. money. But I wonder too, though, there's such a sentimentality there is that she probably wouldn't want to ever right, get rid right. of her stuff no. because right. the, the things that we had were so precious. We wouldn't give them away no. and we would only do that if we had, well, that's a whole nother story, right? Because sometimes people had to get rid of stuff, but what? it wasn't stuff that they were giving away well, and, because they were trying to make lots of money. I, I will say that in our family, we have, my grandmother had aunts who, you know, when their husbands start to die and things start to happen and they started to move into like a central family home. And so a lot of stuff from three or four different people's lives and separate husbands, whatever wound up in this place. And then there was always the thing about who inherits it, whatever. But um, my aunts were obsessed with the Kennedys okay. and they collected, I have a scrapbook that has a lot of their news clippings and whatever of John Kennedy. And one of my aunts, my mother's sister's youngest sister's name is Caroline. It's a whole thing, but they had for years in one of their China cabinets over there in Prince George's County, a figurine of, John F. Kennedy Jr. It was like a ceramic figurine saluting the casket. Oh. It was grotesque. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but I wanted it so badly. And when they died, when my last aunt died, I said to my grandmother, goes, is there anything you want from the house? And I said, I want that. I wasn't intending to sell it. I had some vague idea in 1992, was it? that yeah. it might be worth some money just because it was so weird and I didn't know what it would book. But really, I wanted it because it was a weird thing that my family owned and I thought it would be cool to remember them like that and have it. Now, of course, by the time they went over to the house, it was missing and no one knew where it was because, <laughs> you know, somebody came in during a funeral and cleaned some stuff out, I'm imagining. Um, but I would have proudly had that in my house and 30 years later, if someone said... Hey, that's worth $50,000. I know my aunts who liked a dollar would have been like, yes, sell that. <laughs> um, you know, it, it would have been 
something there's very few things there's a couple things like my grandmother gave me or that my late husband left me i've got like some super bowl jerseys i mean and i'm sure everyone has them i've kept the ones that have the um the patches mm -hmm. on them mm -hmm. and i kept them because they're scots but just in case <laughs> somebody decides the next time the ravens go to the super bowl to pay me for this thing i might think of it because he would have sold it in a heartbeat um, but I think there's a difference of that so many people, like you both, both said, that when this was such a craze in the 90s, the early days of it, were literally you would read stories where people were like trying to buy up flea markets or like go into things. I used, at the time it came on, I lived in York, Pennsylvania, which was very, it was a place in the 90s where a lot of people didn't move out of or had not moved out of. So some of these original homes in york or gettysburg and york or adams county were places or lancaster were families that lived for 150 years so by 1998 the grandma dies the parents don't care the grandkids are like can we get out of here and move to philadelphia so you would go to this was right around the time of antiques roadshow where people didn't know what they had so i could go to the rescue mission in york and buy something I was pretty sure was valuable for like 10 bucks because no one knew where it was. And even like Calvin, when uh, Scott, Scott is my late husband, we all went to high school together. When we, when we moved to Palm Beach, we bought his one of his tuxedos, one at JCPenney and one of the Palm Beach Goodwill because there were lots of tuxedos <laughs> around the corner from Mar-a-Lago and they wanted to get rid of them. Um, if we had gone, there are other times where you go to places and people know what they have and suddenly it's worth $100 or $500. I think we paid $100 for that tuxedo. It was probably worth more than that. All I have to say is that so much of the, to me, the excitement about that show is the lightning strikes aspect of it, that you had this thing at this specific time. We talked about the black memorabilia, that there was a time in the late 90s, early 2000s, where it was said that like Oprah and a lot of people, B. Goldberg, people like that were collecting like the the black memorabilia with like the mammy mm -hmm. cookie jars. I remember that. I remember that time. Yeah. Yes. The lawn and jockeys the and all that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And that a lot of people who were black were collecting those things because they felt that they were changing the meaning of them by buying them and that own then us owning them took some of the ugliness i still don't want that in my house but um yeah. i don't want it but i i respected it i respected what they were trying to do and saying these things these lawn jockeys and these things are out there and other people are buying them because they're racist and if we buy it i would i would have bought it and burned it and been like, I own it. The spirits are pleased now. Nobody else can have it. So that's the kind of stuff that I would consider donating to a museum. <laughs> I would consider it. Right. Um, right. Because people could consider yes, what it yes. is. So, yes. And, and it's it's so crazy. Um, you know, we talked about uh, the, the generational wealth things handed down and how a lot of times black people didn't have it. You know, when you think about places like Tulsa and Rosewood, you know, places that were where prominent mm -hmm. black people were living and it was just destroyed and the stuff was taken. Just imagine how much of that kind of stuff um, could have been handed down and, you know, families and people could have just seen 
the generational wealth from there. It's just, it's, it's so disheartening. Um, I don't want to put a damper on it because uh, Antiques Roadshow no, is such no. a great show. But, you know, I, I think it, about it, things like that when, because I, I think one of the things I told you is that one of the side effects of watching the Antiques Roadshow is it made me realize how much I love history. Um, now, I'm not yeah. one of those history mm. buffs. Like, I, I can't spew off a whole lot of stuff. But if something comes on, I was a big fan of America, the story of us that came on the Discovery yeah. Network. Um, I was a big yeah. fan of that because I, I just I find history so interesting. Sometimes I'm walking and I'm like, man, a few hundred years ago, this was just nothing. It was just, you know, trees and people were trying to discover this land or places, uh, mm -hmm. stories like the Trail of Tears, which is an awful story. But yeah. you're thinking about oh. these people are literally forcing them to walk from the south of what is now America to the West Coast. And right. it's like... I just you know, history is so interesting and amazing to me. So it it gets me into that. It it really is. And for the people who aren't doing antiques roadshow because they're trying to make lots and lots of money, but the people though who just want to hear that you have something of right. value, yeah, that something of value has been in your place or in your family for so long. It's the history of it that makes it important. Well, and I'll be very honest, being a person from Baltimore City who was born here, raised here, and then came back here, I used to always get a little of anxiety about the idea that people would know what you have. Yes. <laughs> because because <laughs> yeah, like they would go, this is my thing, and I'm from Cedar Grove, Iowa. I don't know and somebody why. from Cedar Grove, <laughs> Iowa is like, Cedar Grove, Iowa, you say? Johnson, the Johnson family, on the farm on Cedar Lane? Yeah, it's interesting. And so if you don't sell that thing immediately, they now know that you have a Matisse or like a thing in your house. I just, I don't take, when I go on Facebook, I don't take pictures of the front of my house. I'm a semi kind of sort of public person i don't tell nobody nothing about myself and where i'm like ron swanson in that way i don't know where it's why like, more people aren't anonymous on there every now and then someone will be anonymous right. but they're literally showing their faces and even if you do sell the matisse now they're thinking okay well if they did if they sold it then they either have $500,000 in there, or if they didn't tell it, they have right, right. So one way or another, we're going to get that. We're getting that. <laughs> yeah, so I I, I it, thought about that also. I was like, why aren't more people anonymous? Because I would never be on there and be like, yeah, I'm Calvin from Baltimore, and I have this, and it could be worth a million dollars. No. No, true story. Leslie was talking about our great aunts. Um, so one of their sisters had passed away. And this was the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And, right, late, late 80s. So there were three remaining sisters who lived in Maryland, two of them who lived with each other, one who lived five minutes away with her husband. And they had a sister from Ohio who had passed away. And she had given her furniture to her sisters, and it had been, like, shipped there. Well, the sister that lived with her husband five minutes away... Yeah was so sure that someone was going to see people bringing this furniture in her sister's house. She had worked herself up in her head that somebody <laughs> had broken into their house, taken their stuff, 
taken them to the basement and killed them. <laughs> and that they were dead somewhere in the basement. And she worked herself up so much that she would not wait for her husband. She got a cab, sobbing the whole time, went over to her sister's house. <laughs> directly to the basement. Knocked on the basement door. What? And her sisters opened the door and said, Elma, what is wrong with you? <laughs> she goes, I thought y'all were dead in the basement, which has become wow. family lore for the last 35 years, the dead in the basement story. Um, exactly. Because they, and it's, I don't know, like I said, I don't apologize for the Baltimore City blackness that ensues and that is part of everything that I do because it's just the way that you see things. It's like anytime that we've you've been in a place where someone goes, I'm from whatever Ohio, Seed Apple Roads, Ohio or whatever, and we don't lock our doors. And I'm like, <laughs> you're crazy. Because like you've now told everybody your door is not locked. <laughs> Exactly. So all that to say, it's a, it's a different time. Like I'm a person who doesn't post that I've been on vacation until until I'm on the way back. Yes, Uh, or at least I'm on. I wait till I get back. At least on the way back. I don't even do it on the way back. I wait till I'm in the house, and I also wait till I'm in the house (laughs) three days in. Then you'll know that we went away. (laughs) Like I, I am big on. I'm with you. I'm big on that. Um, one day I posted my uh postal carrier a cheat. I don't know why she just drops my packages. She literally just drops them. I see her in the camera. She, I'm like, put them down. She dropped. But anyway, one day I posted that video. I was like, look at this drop. My wife was like, if you don't get the front of our house off of this goddamn social media. And she was right. Like, That's you right. know, and, and I was like, you know what? You're exactly right. Because although it doesn't show an address, all someone has to see is, I know where that is. You know, that's that's, that's right. see, so. It's so crazy. So the people from Antiques Roadshow, if you're listening, (laughs) send your cousin who lives someplace else. Right. Don't tell people where you live. Hire somebody. Hire an actor. Now maybe they're maybe they're not using their real names or cities. I would hope that the producers say, you know what? Why don't you just give us a fake name or something? But even if they're showing their their uh, photos, their videos rather, then I guess their neighbors would know who they are. So I don't know. Right. I just saw one from Fort Worth from like 2017 where people were like, "Um, we live in a neighboring county and it's called this. And my dad was the post officer, the postmaster, and we live next to the general store. I mean, they told their whole story. (laughs) No, I would be like, where do you live? A city. What do you do? A profession. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's not, don't, don't worry about my name. Just, it it is what it is. I I think too that, and we laugh about it, but part of the loveliness, at least at the beginning of the show was that people were so kind of aw shucks. I don't know if naive is the right word, but there was an openness and a, a, an eagerness to sharing what they had and to telling the stories and to having it be, um, such an open thing of discovery and so our, our cynical butts in baltimore going don't do that myrtle <laughs> don't tell them where you live absolutely not it's true. <laughs> well calvin what would you say before we start to get to end of this do you have a favorite thing that you remember that maybe somebody got appraised 
on the wow, show. There were so many. Um, so I mentioned baseball cards um, because I baseball is my first love. Go Orioles. I'm a Ravens okay. fan, huge Ravens fan. And the Orioles are killing me because they're so bad. They've been so bad for so long. Even though last <laughs> year they were actually pretty good. Um, but baseball is my first love. The Orioles are my first love. Um, so there was this show, and I actually um, looked for it today, and I actually saw it. Um, the lady, I, I guess it was her great aunt or great grandmother, someone in her past had a like a bed and breakfast or whatever they called them back then. And the okay. um, the baseball team, which was a professional baseball team, which is now the Atlanta Braves, I believe at that time oh, wow. it was the it's anyway, and it was it was another city and another team. They were one of the first teams to actually get paid to play um and as an appreciation for staying in this lady's facility um they gave her one of the first sets of picture baseball cards and they also wrote her oh. personal notes of thank you with jokes in the note about her cooking and things like that you know just nice funny banter well 200 years later they appraised this and it's a board with these baseball cards taped on it and the letters um they appraised that at like six hundred thousand dollars i mean <gasps> if you are into sports and you know how easy it is to get a baseball card these are and three of the um, players were hall of famers and one of the players is a spalding um and the spalding is he made actual sports equipment there's spalding Absolutely. basketballs spalding gloves right. so you know these are I, I mean so much history just on that board and it's just like wow like what would a ray lewis card go for now ray lewis rookie card you know they got to be famous they got to be great you know so but Calvin, yeah, it's just amazing do you know what i have in my house and i probably shouldn't tell people because i'm doing the same thing but <laughs> I wrote about it, so it's fun. So, Burt Reynolds, who I knew somewhat, um, who was in Jupiter, Florida, was in the original The Longest Yard yes. and in the mm -hmm. remake of The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler. So, after Scott died, and Scott was a huge Ravens fan, and he and Burt had met and bonded over um, Baltimore football, I guess Burt had been invited to training camp in the 50s to the Colts, and then he got injured and then became an actor, so he didn't go. But it's a long story, but... When the year after so after Scott had died, Bert had a memoir come out and I got to go to the Palm Beach Book Fair and his assistant said, come here, come here, Bert has something for you. And he, I have like a thousand jerseys in my house, so I know what a Ravens jersey looks like when I open it. And I open this bag and it's a Ravens jersey and it says Bert. Oh. And I said, what is this? And they said, Ray Lewis was on the set of the remake of The Longest Yard, and he gave this to Bert. Oh. And I have it. Were they signed? So Did I, Bert or Ray sign it? It's crazy. And I'm, I'm Did sorry? Did Bert or Ray sign it? No, he didn't oh. sign it, unfortunately. But I'm trying to find Ray Lewis, mostly just for a story. I don't ever want to sell it. I would never sell it. 
Unless it was worth more than $100,000. <laughs> That's why I asked you if they both signed it, because it just might be. No, I, I wish they had. To me, it's more that I'd love to talk to Ray about memories. I'd love to do a story for the Baltimore Banner about it. It's more sentimental to me. But I have a thing that was Burt Reynolds, and I have, I have pictures of him handing it nice. to me. Nice. So it's like, and it's a Burt, so nobody can say I didn't. So I, if I... Y'all know I'm, I'm desperate when I'm like, how much can I get for this Burt Reynolds jersey? <laughs> you, um... Uh, but yeah, all of those things are important. I think this, that the other thing to me, I know we're wrapping up, the, to me about the show is it means more to me when it's a sentimental thing that just, what crazy luck happens to yes. also be something. Yes. Like this was the photo, this was the painting that was above my grandmother's couch for 50 years and it was uh you know plans by frank lloyd wright something you know people break down in tears um sometimes yes. when they get the appraisal on those they, they're just just so flabbergasted and i'm with you those are the ones that really get to me like wow this has been in your family that long you have it now and it's not only does it have this great sentimental value but now there's a monetary value attached to it um, and you may Absolutely. not even want to sell it. You may want to hand it down to your children and, you know, there'll be a Absolutely. bigger monetary value attached to it at that time. So, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I love the sentimental pieces. So I question that we usually ask at the end of the show is Calvin Coates, in your opinion, do you think that Antique Ro Antique Roadshow, Antiques Roadshow, sorry, is cheesy and if it is do you care wow um so for antiques roadshow i guess cheesy would be relative to the people but for my circle it is cheesy and i absolutely <laughs> do not give a damn because i like the show <laughs> but that's awesome but cheesy yes <laughs> Okay, well, this has been a really awesome conversation. I it really has. loved it. I thank you. All. I um, I thank you for being here, and I thank you for also picking something that's awesome. And we've really been excited about the things that people have picked. We've had everything from Xanadu <laughs> with Olivia Newton-John, <laughs> you know, to we did an episode about murder she wrote with my mom and my stepdad. <laughs> so we've gone like all over the place and we love it. So Calvin, can you tell us where people can find you and your ideas on the social medias? Absolutely. Absolutely. So just as normal, anyone else, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Calvin S. Coates Jr. But I really want people to find me and my homeboy, me and my buddy Garland. We do a broadcast. Um, our Facebook page is All Things Black with Garland and Calvin. We will be starting our BMF Black Mafia Family broadcast this coming Monday. Um, we also have a podcast that we do that's centered on sports. It's called All Things Black Presents Fanboys. It's on Spotify anchor and wow. apple podcast so if you get a chance to listen to it if you're into sports definitely subscribe to that and you can follow us on facebook at all things black with garland and calvin and instagram at twitter at atbw 
G-A-N-D-C. And that's all things black with Garland and Calvin. That's what it stands for. So that's just the at and the You better at. have you better have an acronym. <laughs> <laughs> so but before we get off though, what is the Black Mafia oh, show? Oh, so um it's part of the it's on stars, it's part of the Fitty universe. Fitty sent, uh, you know how he made Ghost and yes. all the spinoffs of Ghost. So Black Mafia Family is a show about that. Oh gosh, I can't remember the drug dealer's name. This is the second season of it. Um, and it's based off of this famous drug dealer's life. And they were called Black Mafia Family in uh, Detroit. Um, so they're starting to tell his story now. And it's really interesting. Um, everything isn't true, but wow. it's it's just like Ghost. It has the drama in it and the comedy. And it's very interesting. It's on stars and it's starting its second season. Well, it actually started the second season last Friday. So I believe it comes on every Friday at nine. But if you're like most of us, you just go ahead and watch it like at midnight and because stars will show it whatever day it's supposed to air star shows is at midnight on there. Um, what do you call it? Their uh, their channel, whatever I forgot. What do you call it? Uh, on demand. Their on demand channel. So, okay. Well, this has been awesome, Calvin. We thank you so much for being on our show. It has been an honor. I know. Uh, as we continue, we will have you I back. I hope so. I would definitely love to come back. And you're going to make me watch Xanadu. I was just telling my wife about yes. physical um physical came on something yesterday and i was singing i was like i love it, olivia newton john and i was singing physical and she looked at me like i was crazy only because i started in the middle <laughs> of the song and she wanted to start from the beginning like she's not and angela lansbury murder oh. she wrote so yeah i'm, I'm with you yeah I'm, I'm there yes all <laughs> of the things all of the time well thank you for joining us on fine beets and cheeses. Leslie, any last words? No, just basically to uh, stay chosen. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.